On God Friday, they mocked our Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They mocked him by putting a crown of thorns on his head because he said he was a king. A scepter out of a weed put in his hand. A robe put on his back. And they mocked him. You are a king. And they placed him on a cross. And they taunted him with the words, If you are the Son of God, then come down from there. You can save others. Save yourself. Come down, and we will believe. But Jesus stayed on that cross. Jesus died on that cross so that he would, in fact, save others. He was placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again just as he said he would because he was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, because he was the Son of God, because he could save himself and he could save others. They said, come down from the cross and we will believe. How much more we should believe because he came forth from the tomb. As I was thinking about this Easter service, there were many different thoughts that went through my mind as to to what to to preach on. I was going to think about the power of the resurrection. But I thought, you know, we we could talk about the proof of the resurrection, the purpose of the resurrection, the promise of the resurrection, the primacy of the resurrection, and I'm running out of P words, but uh, we don't run out of themes. But I decided this morning to address the relevance of the resurrection, and with that I mean the immediate relevance of the resurrection. For many times we we focus in in a very real and important way on the future aspects of the accomplishment of Lord Jesus. The thought that we're going to rise again, and we are going to be in his presence forever and ever, knowing eternal bliss and joy and being in fellowship with him and one another for all eternity future. All of that is true. But I decided to think about the relevance for today. What does it mean for you and me today that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? How does that affect the very moment in which we live? I submit to you that the resurrection of Christ provides a basis for a renewed call to follow Jesus. A renewed call to follow Jesus. That's the emphasis of the passage which was read this morning. In John 21, 19, I'm taking that as my theme verse. Now this, he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God, And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. In the passage before us, we have a renewed call given by God to the Apostle Peter 
to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. A renewed call. Because, of course, very early on in Jesus' earthly ministry, he had issued a call to Peter to follow the Lord. After the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples had scattered. After the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples were gathered together once again. At the point of our text, they had already seen the Lord on two previous occasions, that is, the risen Lord. And in John 21, 1, it says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples. According to verse 14, it is the third time now that Jesus is manifesting himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. But these disciples are still pretty aimless. They don't know what to do with themselves now that Jesus is off the scene. For three years, their lives had been dedicated to following Jesus wherever he went, being at his beck and call, doing his bidding, seeking to accomplish his purposes and to further the kingdom. But now Jesus was off the scene. What were these disciples to do now that Jesus was no longer in their midst? In John chapter 21, verse 2, we have this scene. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will also come with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So why did they decide to go fishing? That is what they knew how to do. Peter had a fishing business prior to the call to follow Jesus. And I submit to you that this was an attempt to get back to work. Life must go on. Jesus is not here. They needed something to do. They needed provision. They needed money. It was a normal decision to go back to work. It was getting on with life. But in actuality, it was not getting on with life. It was a reversion in life. It was going back to a time prior than their call. It was almost as though the resurrection of Jesus Christ had no immediate significance. They knew he had risen. They had seen it with their own eyes. They had believed that he had risen. But it seems as though they almost were sitting back and waiting for the kingdom. Or maybe waiting for the resurrection. 
looking for something future to happen. But at the moment, the resurrection seemed to have no real significance. So in our passage, we have a renewed call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I say a renewed call because there are many similarities in the circumstances leading up to the initial call and the renewed call to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 5, we have the initial call of Peter and other disciples to follow Jesus. Listen to the story as I read it, and you will immediately see parallels to our account. Luke chapter 5. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he, that is Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down my net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish. And their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That was the initial call. In our passage, we have the renewed call, starting at verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, You do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast, therefore, and when they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish, that disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Note the similarities in the two accounts. In both accounts, the first call and the second call, Peter is fishing. Peter, in both accounts, are with others that will be disciples. In both accounts, Peter has caught nothing after fishing hard all night long. In both accounts, he is told by Jesus to lay out a net. 
And in both accounts, he receives this, this humongous amount of fish. And in both accounts, there is this new recognition of who Jesus is and what he is able to perform. But in the renewed call to follow Jesus, now there are some distinctions. The first is that in the Luke passage, they get to the shore and they immediately leave the fish and go follow Jesus. In John's account, now this second call, remember these are two different events, one in the beginning of the ministry, one the resurrected Lord. In John's account, this second call, verse 9, when they get to the shore, there is a charcoal fire already laid with fish that are placed on it, and there is bread. Jesus invites them to add their fish to his, verse 10. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Jesus invites them to share in breakfast, verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. It was an awkward time, verse 12. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. So they're eating kind of tentatively, wondering, What is going on here? What is this all about? But they weren't about to ask him anything. And then Jesus serves them breakfast. Verse 13. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them and the fish likewise. So what's going on in this strange appearance of Jesus to his disciples. I submit that what is going on here is, first of all, that Jesus is demonstrating his continuing ability to provide for these disciples. All the time that he was with them, he demonstrated his ability to provide for them. In fact, he instructed them that they were not to take a purse. They were not to take any money with them. That as they journeyed with him, he would provide. We're going to be in a passage next week that talks about the fact that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these other things that we need of, he's able to provide. Jesus is teaching them that lesson. They're out fishing. They have caught nothing. He's able to provide fish for them. He says, let down your net. And they catch a great amount of fish. Then they bring it to shore, and lo and behold, he doesn't even need the fish that they have. He already has fish on a fire with bread waiting for them. He can provide for them through natural means, and he can provide for them through supernatural means. Then Jesus invites them to share their fish with him. Demonstrating that he doesn't need their fish, 
but he will indeed use their fish. Even as a reminder that he doesn't need us to do his work, but he's going to use us to do his work. Now, breakfast is over. And we see Jesus preparing Peter for a renewed call to follow the Lord. Prior to the crucifixion at the Passover meal, Jesus had informed Peter that Peter would deny the Lord three times. Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter had refused to believe Jesus' declaration. Instead, verse 33, he, that is Peter, said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. He declared his unwavering commitment to Jesus Christ before the cross. I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to die, if that's what it takes, to do your will. Jesus repeats what he said and goes further. He said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you denied me three times that you even know me. Peter, of course, did deny the Lord three times, and the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And as a result, Peter went out devastated. Luke twenty two sixty two, And he went out and he wept bitterly. So ashamed. So grieved. So heartbroken that he denied his Lord. And he forgot a word of comfort. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus asks Peter three questions. Three questions intended to heal and restore Peter from his former denials. Three questions intended to prepare Peter to once again pick up that mantle and to follow Jesus. The three questions certainly are to reflect the three denials of Peter. Now there's some interesting things going on in these questions, and and one of them I, I need to point out to you very early on that is in the Greek, but unfortunately is not in your English Bibles, and I understand why, because it's difficult to translate, but 
I want to point this out to you. The question is given in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the word love, there is the Greek word agape. It is a sacrificial love. It is the ultimate, highest, intensive form of love that there is. It is the kind of love in which a person is willing to die for another. Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. It's a different word for love. It's a familial kind of love. It's a brotherly kind of love. It's the kind of love that exists between a brother and a sister. You think of the word Philadelphia. It's phileo for love and adophos for brother, city of brotherly love. Well, Jesus says, do you love me with a sacrificial love, Peter? Peter says, yes, Lord. I love you with a brotherly love. He also said to Peter, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Two interpretations are offered, usually. One is that Jesus is referring to the other disciples and saying to to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Uh, I don't tend to think that's what he is saying. I don't think he's inviting Peter to... um, compare himself to the other disciples. Jesus is trying to move him away from that, as a matter of fact. I don't think he's trying to promote it. I think he's referring to the fish. I think Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, actually Simon, Simon, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than material goods? Do you love me more than your physical and material well-being? Peter, are you willing to leave this once and for all? Is the implication, implication of this first question. The second question, quite similar, and uh, it comes... In verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Third question. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you, and now this time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? You see, I think the grief isn't simply that 
This is repeated three times, although it probably did bring to uh, a climax the denials that Peter had made. But it isn't just that it's three times, it's now that, that Jesus says to Philip, do you even love me with a brotherly love? Uh, to uh, Simon, do you love me with a brotherly love? He says, you know that I love you. And this time, he adds the words, you know all things. You know all things. Peter says to Jesus, you know my heart. You know my heart. What a difference. Prior to the crucifixion and subsequent to the crucifixion. Prior to the crucifixion, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, I would never do that. I'm willing to die for you. Peter thinks he knows his heart better than Jesus does prior to the crucifixion. After the crucifixion. Peter says, you know all things. You know my heart. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, is that a scary thought? Or a wonderful thought that he knows our hearts. In this passage, we're going to find it's going to be a source of great comfort. Peter has been humbled by his failure. Peter's not so quick to speak of a sacrificial love in which he is ready to die for Jesus. However, Jesus is calling Peter to do exactly that. All of this had been done to build Peter's faith. Jesus, in his resurrected state, was just as able to provide for Peter as he was in his pre-resurrection state. However, Jesus, through the power of the resurrection, calls Peter to triumph where previously Peter had failed. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying but what, by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to die for me. Your arm's going to be stretched out. He's referring to a cross. Peter is 
crucified. But Peter, believing that he was not worthy to die in the manner that his Savior died, requested to be crucified upside down. But he died. Why did Jesus tell him that? Was he to count the cost? Was he to reflect on the severity of the commitment that he was about to make? In essence, Jesus really wasn't giving him a choice. He said, you follow me. I submit to you as meant to be a comfort. Jesus, who knows the heart, says to Peter, Peter, you're not going to deny me. Peter, you're going to die for me. Here, is the first application of the significance for us today that we serve a risen Savior. It is the victorious power that he gives for us to overcome our own sinfulness and our own selfishness and our fears of death and die. Here is the victory of the cross. Here is the power of the resurrected Christ where a Peter who is proud and self-sufficient and says, I would never deny you, now is humbled and recognizes his weakness and says, I don't even know if it's right for me to say I love you. And Jesus says, you're not going to deny me, Peter. And why won't he? It's not because of the power that lies in Peter. We've seen where that leads. It's the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can enable us to live transformed lives as a result of this wonderful salvation that is ours through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do the rest of the passage. I'm running out of time, and I want to make some application and conclusion, so I'm going to stop there. Uh, You can read on and think about these other verses, but... I'm going to rush to my conclusion. First of all, have you ever wished that you could have been one of the disciples during Jesus' earthly ministry? Have you ever said to yourself, wow, that would have been so, so great, you know, just to to be able to follow Jesus around and to listen to him and, and to watch him and to observe him? You ever said, I'd like to be on that side of the cross. 
and be able to touch Jesus, walk with Jesus, be with Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples, it is good for you that I go away. This side of the cross is better. And that's one thing that Peter had to learn. This side of the cross was better. Jesus is not less able to minister to us after his death and resurrection, but he's better able to minister to us. We are not less able to follow Jesus after his death and resurrection, but we are better able to follow him. And Jesus calls us to follow him as well. We're to go into all the world and make disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of the resurrection, we should be more assured of being in his presence, more assured of his provision, more assured of his acceptance, more assured of his lordship, and more assured of his calling and mission. In the dealing with Peter, we see the practical, the practical accomplishments of Jesus' death and resurrection. Number one, here is a very practical example of the forgiveness and reconciliation that Jesus died to obtain. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. Jesus died on the cross to remove the consequences of that sin. Guilt, shame, and estrangement from God. We can be without guilt before God, we can be without shame before God, and we can be reconciled to God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes to Peter to forgive him. The one who knows all things knows of Peter's denial. He knew it before it took place. He said, you're going to deny me three times. He's already prepared to forgive him. He said, I prayed for you that when you are, you are turned again, that you will strengthen your brothers. But here it is manifested. Jesus embracing, caring for, providing for, feeding, nurturing, restoring the apostle Peter. Number two, here's a very practical example of the power that works in us. To overcome our sinful weaknesses and fears. But a power that is never to rest in ourselves. But more and more we are to understand what the Apostle Paul said, my, my, uh, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. So Peter learns his weakness that he might experience the strength and grace of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, 
Here is a very practical example of the ministry that God calls us to. What was there for Peter to do now that Jesus wasn't on the scene? Jesus had a lot more for Peter to do than to go fishing. Before, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now on these three questions, and I didn't get to look at them in detail about the responses, but there's a commonality in the responses to be sure, and that is that that Peter is to care for the sheep. He's to feed the sheep. Different words are used to talk about tender, baby sheep, more mature, grown-up sheep. Peter's life is to be dedicated to ministering to the sheep that Jesus had died to deliver. Jesus said that he came to lay down his life for his sheep. And Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. How do we express love to Jesus? How do we demonstrate appreciation for his death and his sacrificial work on the cross? We can't hug him. We can't embrace him. We can't really give him anything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, wealth in every mine. He doesn't need anything that we have to offer him. He's got a burning fire already with everything on it. The only thing we can do is to seek to follow him, that is, follow his directions, follow his commands, do his bidding which Jesus summarizes as caring for his sheep. That means we seek to save his sheep. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, inviting all to trust in him as their Lord and Savior and experience the reconciliation and the peace and the joy that which we Enjoy. We are concerned for the lost sheep. It means we extend to others the very forgiveness that we have experienced from Jesus. That we remember our failures so that we are quick to forgive others. So we are quick to encourage others 
that we are ready to comfort others. This morning, if there is any question in your mind, as a child of God, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there's any question in your mind of God's acceptance of you, of God's love for you, of God's care for you, God's provision for you, if you're looking at something in your life and you're saying, this is keeping me from a relationship with God, remember that Jesus died for that. And remember that Jesus rose and conquered that. If ever you say to yourself, I am a failure and I can no longer be used by God, And I'm not now presenting a a John Olstein feel-good theology here. I'm telling you that Jesus saved you to reconcile you to himself so that he could make you a vessel for his kingdom. For by grace are you saved through faith and not not of yourselves as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before us prepared that we should walk in them. God saved us to serve him. And serve him we can. And so he invites Peter to serve him. Tonight, we're going to have a baptismal service. Pastor Howard announced that we have 12 individuals that are going to, quote, follow the Lord in believer's baptism, unquote. We use that terminology because that's what Jesus said that we were to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all people, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us, And the process of making those disciples is that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's identifying with Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't stand here in our midst today. But he is in our midst. Where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of you. Jesus still has a body. He's ascended into heaven. He still can provide for us. He still demonstrates his care for us. He still intercedes for us. He still prays for us. He still reconciles us. He still restores us. His ministry continues on. Even in a greater way than in his earthly ministry. And he calls us to follow him even as he had called those earthly disciples prior to the cross, follow me, I will take care of you, I will make you fishers of men. Now, he says, follow me, I will take care of you, 
and I will make you shepherds of my sheep. What are we to do today? What is the significance of the cross? Celebrate the reconciliation we have with God. Let your mind be at peace and rest. If you know Jesus as your Savior, your sins are forgiven. Rededicate your heart and mind to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and say to yourself, do I love him more than I love my material wealth and physical well-being? Extend to others the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say to you this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, understand, understand that the reason that Jesus came into this world was to save us from our sins. To bring us in a right relationship with God and with others. Understand this morning that there is no other way for you to be made right with God. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. If there were some other way, Jesus would never have died. If there were some other way, God would never have sent his son. If there were some other way. But there's not. Your only hope of eternal life is Jesus Christ. Your only hope of being right with God is Jesus Christ. Your only hope of being in his presence forever and ever in the eternity future is Jesus Christ. And your only hope for a truly transformed life, of being able to become something different than what you are, an ability to overcome your weaknesses and your selfishness and your sinfulness and to mend those relationships that have come so miserably destroyed is Jesus Christ. Trust in him today. Let's pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for...